Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to our sober and serious circle of conservative journalism and consciousness raising. Here's an old term. It's the Newsbusters podcast. We're at least as sober and serious as Martin Barron who is making the round selling his book with this pompous act of saying the Washington Post was honest and honorable and holding everyone accountable. No, people who read it know better, you know. You're a bunch of libs. All right, our top story today, the sad death of Ryan Carson. You know, the uh, New York Magazine had one of these scolding articles with the headline, Don't Celebrate When People You Disagree With Get Murdered. Now, I think this generally sounds like a sound principle. It's not really the way Twitter operates, but it, it is a sound principle. Is, is You never want to say, somebody is dead, good. Uh, I think that's generally, I, uh, civility starts there. But in this case, we have Ryan Carson, who was stabbed to death on the streets of Brooklyn while he was on his way home from a wedding. And... Uh, it became a national news story, I guess, because it happened in Brooklyn. One of the people writing about it was, of course, our own Kevin Tober, watching the nightly news for us. And uh, first of all, I think what Kevin would want you to know is, guess who didn't uh, follow the rule of don't celebrate when people you disagree with die? Yes. Ryan Carson, Ryan Carson. loved death, if yes. we may borrow from Chris Plant. Yes. he thanks, Well, for, first, thanks for having me, yeah. as always. And uh, yeah, he so he, Ryan Carson, when he went on he went on Twitter, which I've recently found isn't allowed to you're not allowed to celebrate when people die, but he uh, he said that when Rush Limbaugh died, New York Post headline Rush Limbaugh conservative icon dies, um, he's like L L M A O, which is laughing my a off, laugh my yeah a, a off, um, <clears throat> and it said uh, hell yeah, yeah. So. Come on, man. See, and this this is to me, uh, yes, there's there's a certain amount of this where you would say there there was some irony or something here because he, this guy was Antifa. This guy was Black Lives Matter. Uh, the girlfriend wore an all cops are bastards T-shirt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's irony that yeah. doesn't mean you go L.M.A.O. like this guy. Yeah, you're laughing at someone you disagree with dies. But how sick is yeah, that? and it's just savagely murdered for no reason yeah at four in the morning yep so uh all and, of the networks reported this but you said abc was the worst yeah they were the, they did the longest sappiest segment on him um cbs and nbc both gave news briefs that were you know a few seconds long 10 seconds well and i was waiting for them to explain the girlfriend i think see because the most interesting part of this story or ironic yeah is she sees her boyfriend savagely murdered and she refuses to cooperate with the police because they're evil. Yeah. And the assailant was black. Yep. And it's funny how liberal news media will be like, well, there's certain parts of this story that are just sort of mildly embarrassing to our side, so we will not discuss them. Yep. And then again, yes, you, you note that uh, Trevor Alt at ABC was all about how, oh, he was a well-known social activist who helped fight poverty and addiction in the mm -hmm. community. So, uh, yeah, they make him sound like Mother Teresa yeah. instead of a guy who goes, ha-ha, Rush is dead. Yeah, exactly. That's the point I made. I didn't really have that angle that you were just talking about. I was more of, they hit his, his 
left wing ideology, and they hid how hateful he was online. Because um, I should note that even though I did have this up past the deadline that we normally have for like nine o'clock, mm-hmm. which um, for a news, um, get him up, get him up. The evening, the evening news. Post something. Yeah, nine o'clock is normally <laughs> what it is. Mine was up, you know, a little later than that, but it's fine. But I did a lot of research on this guy, and I did find. Um, you know, give credit where it's due. And you know, on Twitter, I had a whole roundup of all his hateful tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Andy No can get into those anti-fascists. Yeah, that's it, his thing. Yep. And you, he did note that Ryan Carson's Twitter was uh, made private and locked. Um, obviously, previous to when he, you know, pr- prior to when he died, but there was um, through the archive.org site, they were able to find all these like anti-Rush Limbaugh tweets and anti-conservatives and this hoping for people's deaths um and and praising you know when a third precinct is getting um destroyed by blm mobs this uh, you know cohen uh carson was like oh yeah this is great so yes andy now if, if you haven't followed ngo yes he has a book called unmasked just like i do brent Pozell and i wrote a book Dole. called unmasked well brent and Tim it's not exactly a copyrighted word or anything yeah. oh, yeah. but uh uh yeah well i mean they would try to say to you kevin we called him a social activist but th- that's that's their that's their words for anti-fascist radical kook yeah. they get described as community organizers <laughs> exactly we described his ideology oh yes in your terms now the other journalistic thing kevin that was interesting here was many people noticed this is that the assailant um, CBS blurred his face in their videos. Yeah. And of course, a lot of people on Twitter were saying, hmm, this didn't happen when the uh, Daniel Penny, the subway, you know, saver of against crazy people, uh, when he was arrested, uh, they nobody blurred his face. Brandon Morse had a piece at Red State. And he had a suggestion. I mean, he said uh, the assailant, the the alleged assailant, Brian Dowling, he said you could say it's because Dowling's only 18. And while this technically makes him an adult, perhaps CBS is trying to protect a young person. But then the question has to be asked why they didn't do that for Kyle Rittenhouse, who was a minor when he was attacked. Uh, many have pointed out race is a factor, as Penny and Rittenhouse were both white and Dowling is black. And then Brandon Morris nicely says, as Newsbusters pointed out, the Pointer Institute is one of these groups that runs around saying websites like Newsbusters are unnews, was the word they used. Yeah. Unnews. Unnews. Unreliable. Um, and makes the point that Pointer trains people, their journalists, in not detailing the race of a criminal if they're black or brown. Because that would be systemic racism. And then he goes to Kelly McBride, who is not only the chairs the Craig Newmark Center for Ethics and Leadership at Pointer, she's also the ombudsman for National Public Radio. Mm. But she said local news reporters have amplified narratives that connect black and brown communities to crime. As a result, we have fostered systemic racism through our crime coverage. Somehow, their, you know, their idea of making the world a better place is to hide these images. And yeah. this is where you kind of laugh and you're saying, I thought you guys were the forces of truth and reality and fact. But now you're putting a blurry face over fact. 
And to me, that seems awfully political. Uh, so um, it is unfortunate that Ryan Carson would just be stabbed needlessly, just audaciously just stabbed in the middle of the street, which, of course, it's Brooklyn. It's New York City. Yeah. Not the safest place in the world, but yeah. certainly at four in the morning. Yeah, especially. That's... Kevin, you lived in New Jersey. Did you ever think about hanging out in New York City at four in the morning? Never. <laughs> there's plenty of cities in New Jersey. You... Dad wouldn't let me. No, there's, well, there's also plenty of cities in New Jersey you want to hang out at four o'clock in the morning. So. Yes. I mean, I think even. I don't think even, even in D.C. nowadays, I don't think that's safe. Yeah, I think generally, uh, and of course, we sort of observe this on any weekend or any New Year's Eve or any St. Patrick's Day. Make sure you're back in your house by about 9 p.m. Yeah. Because the roads aren't going to be totally reliable, nope. you know, at a time when public drunkenness is higher. Um, so, so yes, rest in peace. You know, even when you're on the left, we have to say that. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it is it is something that we would encourage our left-wing friends to try to be that friendly. Yeah. Uh, let's change the subject to Hillary Clinton. The hot thing on Friday was a clip from CNN. Now, Christian Amanpour has done a pile of, I, I want to think of the, all the Limbaugh terms or whatever, but, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the rude term would be suck face interviews with Hillary Clinton. Uh, I remember, I want to say after the, uh, after the Clinton impeachment, she did one of these, oh, you're so courageous about Bosnia, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, this is just the latest one. Uh, they aired it last night on CNN in the 10 p.m. hour. And uh, Hillary basically said there needs to be a deprogramming of the mega cult. <clears throat> what? Mm -hmm. What? Uh, <laughs> do yeah. my Levin. Yeah. Some some people pointed out that that is right out of Mao's playbook, deprogramming. You know, if you're a bad com, people, you know, back then Mao would be like, oh, yeah, these these people are bad communists. So I'm going to deprogram them. Yeah. I mean, the term was the re-education camp. But yeah. obviously, yeah, deprogramming became something we all knew through the People's Temple and Jim Jones when all those people committed suicide yep. in, in Guyana back in 1978. Um, but th yeah, this is a very rude. Let's just take a listen to this. So you can get it in context, and then we'll discuss some more. Very strong partisans in both parties in the past. Uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tale of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm -hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how no wonder she lost. <laughs> there were many people who tweeted Kevin something the effect of, this just reminds me how happy I am all over again that yep. he did not win. Yep. No matter how, uh, you know, I know there's you know, divisions on the Republican side, whether you like Trump or not. But I think we can all agree that it's we're very happy that she is not in the White House or was not in the White House. Well, and uh, yes, this is where the original election denial came from. You always get a kick out of this where it's like. And the term fake news. Let's start with her. 
I, that would not be surprising. I think that the the um, well, this is the whole thing too. Is really the phoniest thing Hillary says in here is that you know back in the nineties we had you know we had battles over gun control and climate change in the economy, but that there wasn't this little tale of extremism waving the wagging the dog of the Republican Party. Yeah, that is not what she said in the 1990s. No. That is not what the liberal media said in the 1990s. I will start with this example. Timothy McVeigh bombed the uh, federal building in Oklahoma City, and it wasn't very long before they were suggesting Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh were responsible. Yep. So, so the idea that, oh, back in the 90s, we didn't have ultra-conservative Republicans, yep. you know, and a lot of people have made this point. I think uh, uh, that these are the same people that basically suggested George W. Bush was comparable to Hitler. Yeah. And that's sort of where you want to say you people are encouraged Trump in the ascent of Trump. You know, they used to say this to us, Kevin. Well, you media watchdogs caused Trump because you, you discredited the media and you made it easier for Trump to say the media were fake news. Yeah. Tim Albertus came into the, our building and said that to our face. <laughs> and uh, And so... To me, it's sort of like, no, you guys, you could just as easily argue, you guys built up Trump by putting on so much fake news. Yep. And then I think that's more accurate. And, 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 uh, uh, the, the, and you can't understand Trump and the ascent of Trump without looking at the media coverage of Obama, because the media coverage of Obama suggested to people the news media is on one side, the news media is not fair, it's yep. not balanced. The news media is here to mm -hmm. celebrate the Obamas, yep. like, like they're the king and queen of America, to be to be honest. Exactly, and the black Kennedys or something. I don't. <laughs> but it's it's so. Um, I just wanted to put that in context. But here's the funny thing: I saw the clip. You may have seen the clip. Mm -hmm. First thing we want to do at Newsbusters is say, "I want to see what Amanpour says before and after this mm -hmm. clip." So I went into our Snapstream to look, and of course she's just asking about you know the problem, the problem of these hard right nuts. What are we going to do? And then after she says, we're going to need to deprogram these cult kooks, she just moves on like, well, that's a completely rational answer. Well, how do yeah. we do it then? It seems very difficult. She, does, she doesn't say, excuse me, this sounds a little nutty. Yeah. You know, you, you, and nobody, I'm not saying anybody expects her to do any better than that. The thing that makes me sad now is that Christiana Manpour is going to do these interviews and it's going to end up on PBS as well because her, her show on CNN International is then simulcast later on PBS. Although, as Clay Waters notes, uh, Hillary Clinton went on PBS NewsHour as well. So, yeah. I mean, they can pretty much, the Clintons can basically pull that interview anytime they want. Yeah. But she was the one that said to Matt Lauer, it's a vast right-wing conspiracy. And they all went, oh, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Are you ever going to get over Matt Lauer saying, oh, Hillary Clinton, I just can't imagine a man would be this savage with his own employees. <laughs> no, I no. How dare the president pressure employees for sex? Irony. Yeah. <laughs> Karma, she comes around. Yes. All right, so I wanted to get to this. This was the other thing that I thought was really noteworthy and did the, the column on this, and that is that a tweet went out. Well, it started with Political Playbook and their reporting, which was that, yes, there was a there was a, some sort of dinner party to celebrate Corinne Jean-Pierre. Now, we're celebrating her for what? 
like Biden's approval ratings at 60 percent. Yeah. Like she's like the most effective press secretary. Well, it's probably 60 percent among the media, but. Oh, at least. Yeah. Not among the people. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe some of them are like, he's all we got. Yeah. So we better approve of him. Yep. But it's the list of people who are on it. I mean, Curtis was pointing this out to me. Look at this. This is just not your. There's a bunch of people in there that we're, we've seen on TV. Maya Wiley from MSNBC. Maria Cardona from CNN. These are all Democrat analysts. Yeah. Uh, Maya Wiley ran for office unsuccessfully. There's a whole bunch of people on this list that work at the National Council of Negro Women and these sorts of, of, of leftist groups. But then they're like Politico spotted. Kim Godwin, ABC News president. Rashida Jones, MSNBC president. Shauna Thomas, CBS Morning's executive producer. And then the ones we know from on the air. Face the Nation host Margaret Brennan, CNN host Casey Hunt, and MSNBC host Joy Reid and Andrea Mitchell. And none of these people thought, hmm, maybe it would make us look not so objective if we turned out for a party celebrating cringe. Yep. Yeah, it's they don't have any... I feel like they just don't really, they, they've, they're so far beyond wanting to be objective at this point. I think they're just full-blown activists. Yeah, I mean, that's, this is exactly right, is that they still, I guess they still say, well, most of us will try not to actually donate money to them. Yeah, but they think that that's good enough. That's not, I mean. No, I mean, obviously our joke is always, well, how did you contribute on the air at the office? I would argue that's more money. Yeah. If you ask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, free media or like good publicity or so forth. That's I feel I feel like that's more valuable than money sometimes. And you know, I I did uh, I did try to make the point that it's not like Republicans never try to entertain reporters with off the record dinners. We noted a, back in August, uh, Team Trump did this in Milwaukee, and got a whole bunch of prominent people. Kristen Welker, who has meet the press on Sunday, Dana Bash. Um, Rachel Scott, the White House reporter, Robert Cost at CBS, Dasher Burns at NBC, and so on. So, but in that case, Politico wasn't saying these reporters gathered to celebrate Trump. <laughs> nope. Nobody would think that was actually it. Um, sometimes we know that there are off-the-record meetings, dinners. Yeah, um, it's common. Just like Martin Barron, uh, you know, told us that they had an off-the-record meeting with Trump in 2017, yeah. which was previously undisclosed. Um, but you know, it's good for Republicans to attempt to get their coverage more balanced. But obviously, in Trump's case, yeah, there is way too much pressure for them to actually do it. And then the other part of this was the the death of Dianne Feinstein, when uh, they all suddenly announced how close they were to Dianne Feinstein. For example. Here's what Gloria Borger, CNN chief political analyst, said about how lucky she was to go to dinner with Dianne Feinstein. You know, she was um, one of a kind, I have to tell you. She was endlessly curious. She was interested in what other people were saying about what was going on in the Senate. And for some reason, um, I became part of a group of women. She used to call uh, or have an aide call to ask us to have dinner about, I'd say, once every month or six weeks. And we'd go to this perfectly set up dinner at Cafe Milano in Washington at a corner table with beautiful flowers. And 
off the record, but it was not only a discussion, it wasn't really about what was going on on the Intelligence Committee, of which she was chairman, or it was about sort of the events of the day, how are you, uh, what's going on in your news organization. Um, it, there was a little bit of gossip in there. I was there. gonna say, yeah, there was a little bit of gossip, gossip in there about some of her Senate colleagues, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But such a gracious hostess, and you always got this feeling that she just, she just wanted to bring people in. Uh, you know, she lived in this big house in Washington, and her husband was very often in California. And that, you know, maybe she just wanted to have some good conversation and friendships. And they went to Cafe Milano. And, you know, nobody on CNN said, did you wave at Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and <laughs> Hunter's clients? Yeah. Uh, and then on, on the Today Show, Savannah Guthrie said to Andrea Mitchell, you know, I know you've known Feinstein for, Senator Feinstein for many years. She didn't say they were friends. But, oh, yes. Uh, you know, we, we, we were supposed to have lunch with her, all of us who <clears throat> know her well. Yeah. And then, but it was more clear on MSNBC because uh, Jane Harmon, the former congresswoman, just explicitly said to Andrea Mitchell, you were a close personal friend. Yes, okay, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so for us, I guess, it's the whole idea that we know that Andrea Mitchell's gonna say nice things about Dianne Feinstein because she's a Democrat. Yeah. But here you say, oh no, there's a whole nother layer here. You know, if Gloria Borger's going to dinner every four to six weeks with Dianne Feinstein, you obviously, again, if you were a media ethicist, you would say, how does this influence your coverage of Dianne Feinstein? Yeah, it reminds me of the NPR reporter with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you oh, Nina Totenberg. Yeah. Yep. Well, Nina Totenberg was absolutely shameless about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she would she would go out and, on tours or whatever, and it was quite clear they were palsies. Yeah. Yeah, extremely tight. It was nauseating as well. And, well, and of course, long, maybe not long before that, but, you know, Nina Totenberg really became infamous. First in 1987 for pulling the Doug Ginsburg thing. Mm -hmm. He smoked pot. Now you can smoke crack and buy hookers and still be a respectable person. But yeah, it'll that, be fine, yeah. But Doug Ginsburg had to go because he was Captain Toke, as that's what Saturday Night Live joked. <laughs> and then, of course... Uh, in 1991, with the unproven allegations of Anita Hill, mm -hmm. uh, National Public Radio was taxpayer-funded, let's take Clarence Thomas down. Yeah, let's, yeah. So, yeah, obviously, right. Nina Totenberg um, never showed objectivity in the way that she's covered the court. And actually, Kevin, when you listen to her reporting on actual court cases, mm -hmm. it's not as bad as the way Nina Totenberg is out and on the town. Yeah. And the way that Nina Totenberg, when she had, when she used to be on this show inside Washington. Yeah, if I recall. Yeah, I recall. And she'd say these things about, oh, this this actually brings us all the way around to uh, Ryan Carson. And that is, um, she said, I hope Jesse Helms or his gra her grand his grandkids get AIDS. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Those are, the sorts, those are the sorts of events where we're like, Somebody just made the worst quotes of the year. Yeah. That was... Sometimes you just hear them and you go, ding, ding. Yep. Just put that aside for the end of the year. Brent Baker's going to put that in a booklet. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. That went all the way around. I'm aware of that. No. Well, it was, remember, I mean, this is where AIDS was one of those things is that yeah, if right. you were, um, if, if you were in any way critical of people who got AIDS, 
you know, through the ways that you typically got AIDS. I don't know. I think in some cases, Jesse Helms was, I can't remember the context, whether he was holding up AIDS research or he said something yeah. mean about somebody, uh, but that, whatever it was, yeah, she totally stepped over the line on that one. Yeah. She gets mad when people bring that up. Like, you know, bet, anybody bet. who brings up something you might have said in 1991 or 1994 or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's what we're here for. We have long memories. Yep. It's not necessarily a grudge. It's just, yeah, sometimes it's good, you know, and see, Kevin, he's a young person. He already knows a lot of this stuff. You're such a... uh a talk radio guy, conservative guy, and and I will say, Kevin, have you ever heard this? And you already do. Yep. You can't play this. Uh, now I might be able to do it with like singers from the seventies or something. Yeah, I would. Definitely... <laughs> no, nope. Kevin doesn't know. No, nope. afternoon delight. Uh, but actually, I do know that. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with examples. Yeah. Yes. I'll do more obscure songs. Ariel by Dean Friedman. No. Now I got people in the audience going, what? Yeah, I have no idea what that song is. Out in you the bosom of suburbia. Yeah. I just looked out with the first song. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think the, the the whole conclusion of today is, yes, be nice to your fair weather friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is, it, it, it is one of those things that... Uh, you know, when Diane Feinstein passes, it's not a time to joke, and it's not necessarily a time to say nasty things. I didn't go back and do this, Kevin, but we could go back and say, let's compare funeral coverage of Diane Feinstein and Jesse Helms, and I can Ooh. guarantee you, one of them got much nastier funeral coverage. Yeah, Jesse Helms, and definitely. I'm sure they got nastier headlines in the uh, in the Washington Post. Uh, the front page of the Washington Post said Diane Feinstein was a centrist stalwart. <clears throat> Earth to Martin Baron. I know you're not the Washington Post uh, anymore. Yeah. That is not honest. Yeah, I mean or accurate. Yeah, I mean that was media wide. I I was watching Fox I actually happened to be watching Fox as it happened, as the news broke that she died. They were calling her centrist even. So like well, what's going on here? It was sort of somebody must have been reading the Associated Press. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the issue. Yeah. I would say hello, Fox News. Yeah. Have some have some familiarity with the American Conservative Union voting scores. Yeah. Or your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she. I'm sure she, almost everyone in the Senate has an ACU voting rating below five or six. Yeah, easily. You know, Joe Manchin's like the 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 conservative, and he's got like a what a 27. So, and I haven't looked at it in the last year or two. I will confess, yeah. but we all know she was a she was a big California lib. You don't get so. reelected in California no. being a moderate or centrist or. Centrist stalwarts do not get elected in statewide in California. I think we, we all know this. Yep. All right. So that's where when you want to see how these things are being distorted by these so-called honest and honorable people who are not at war, they're at work, Kevin. That's what Martin Barron says. Yeah. Nobody buys it. Not even Martin Barron. I'm sorry. You know what you're doing. You're at war. Yep. That's why you come to Newsbusters. Even at work. Once. Twice. 24, 24 times, times a day. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin.